better, faster, harder news, and more whooshing noises than any other radio station. This is News, News, News. Good evening, I'm Brian Devlin. So there. And now in News, News, News with Brian Devlin, it's 8.33, and we have breaking news that a walking party in the Swiss Alps near the Matterhorn has been reported missing. The party includes a famous actor and a famous sportswoman. We now go over live to our reporter, Debbie Kinghorn, at the Matterhorn. What do we know so far about the missing actor and sportswoman? Well, Brian, the famous actor and famous sportswoman are part of a party of 12 who set out yesterday morning from Chamonix for a day's trekking, and they haven't been heard of since. And do we know who else was in the party of 12? No idea. <laughs> nobody famous. No, nobody famous. Have the famous actor and sportswoman been named at this time? They've not been named yet as their families have not all been contacted. Well, this is very exciting, Debbie. I'll leave you there. I have with me in the studio Martin Baines, our arts correspondent. Martin, is there any connection that we know of between the famous actor and the famous sportswoman? Uh, no, Brian, not that we're aware of. So there's no implication that the famous actor and the famous sportswoman are in any sort of relationship? Not until now there wasn't, no. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. I bring in now our tributes correspondent, Ewan Douglas. Uh, Ewan, how is the news being received in this country? Well, as you can imagine, Brian, tributes are starting to pour in on social media. Yes, well, of course, people must be very affected. Yes, they are. <laughs> I, I, I meant by the news. Yes, they are that as well. Here's just one example from Twitter. I don't know who it is who's missing and who may or may not die, but I'm completely devastated, whoever it is or was. We now go to our vigils correspondent, Robin Gateside, in Hampstead. Uh, what's happening there, Robin? Well, Brian, we've been hearing that flowers and tributes are being laid outside the homes of various famous actors and sportswomen all over the country. Incredible. And I'm outside the home of famous Shakespearean actor Sir Gerald Eddington. He's been outside his house here in Hampstead remonstrating with mourners, asking them to remove their flowers and wreaths, and has been trying to explain to them that he has never been to the Alps on a trekking trip and is still very much alive. Yes, yes. And are people believing him? Some are, Bryant. <laughs> Some aren't. Sir Gerald is a very good actor, of course. So I think some mourners assume he is just playing alive. As well. Yeah, yes, of course. Thank you, Robin. I'm hearing that Debbie Kinghorn at the Matterhorn has some more breaking news for us. Yes, Brian, the news is good. The famous actor and famous sportswoman have turned up at their hotel, cold and tired, but alive. Right. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes, they're unharmed. They spent a night in a small shepherd's hut somewhere on the mountainside. Luckily, they managed to keep warm. Yes, I'll bet they did. <laughs> Terrific news, uh, as you will. Yes, I do know what is the social media. Social media does tell you what is happening in the world and what famous people do say and if they are fat or thin or fugly. <laughs> and mainly it has pictures of a family called the Kim, Kanye, Kendall, Kylie, Chris Kardashians. <laughs> and everything on the social media is called content. But that is a bit funny because on social media nobody does seem content. <laughs> 
And on the news, it does also say that you must not let children and teenagers go on social media at night because they will be too sleepy at school the next day. So at bedtime, your mum and dad hide your sister's phone in your mum's pants drawer with your mum's special wand, what makes a buzzy noise. <laughs> and on social media, there's also the Instagram. And my big brother says it is called Instagram because you can go on it and get someone to bring you an instant gram. <laughs> but I do not know what that means. <laughs> and on my big sister's Instagram page, she does have a special grumpy picture of herself what looks like she has got her lips stuck in a jam jar. <laughs> and if you do go on Instagram and Snapchat, and someone does be mean about your picture, then it is called body shaming. And people what do shame and hate is called trolleys. <laughs> and, and, and my mum says you must never body shame people. But then she said in their wedding photo, my dad looks like a pig in a suit what fell in a bin. <laughs> and also you must watch out in case you get the grooming. And the grooming is nothing to do with horses. <laughs> it is when a smelly old man, what you can't see, does pretend to be your best friend and ask you to take pictures of your twinkle or your wee pipe. <laughs> and if that happens, you must always tell your mum and dad, because your mum and dad do say that your body is your body and no one must take a picture of it. But then they do put lots of bare baby photographs of you on Facebook. <laughs> so everyone can see your bum without permission. <laughs> and on the social media, you must be very careful you do not catch mental elf. <laughs> and mental elf is, I might think, is like a little elf what gets stuck in your brain and gives you bad self-esteem. <laughs> and my dad says that mental elf is silly because when he was young, no one had mental elf. And now everyone has mental elf. But my dad can't get to sleep without ten pints and a wacky-backy cigarette. <laughs> and all the mums and dads say the government must do something to help all the young people with the social media and the mental elf. And they are mainly worried that children might see rudery doodery. <laughs> so at school, all the computers have got a children lock so that you do not accidentally see bad pictures of, um, I think, bare ladies and men's having a downstairs body kiss. <laughs> but when you go home, you can see that on your dad's iPad anytime you like. <laughs> and that is why it's a social media. It is, it's true. <laughs> And now we dip into the archives with our series about the Dunkirk evacuation. We have never before heard audio archive from some of the brave people both on the beach and aboard the little ships that sailed from as far north as Glasgow and far south as the Isles of Scilly to rescue troops. We set sail on the 26th of May, 1940, with a three-man crew and our dog Sausage. <laughs> sausage was the dog's name. We did not take some sausage made of dog. <laughs> we are not heathens. <laughs> we were beset with storms. It was the hardest endurance test of our lives. But we finally sailed into Dunkirk on the 27th of May, 1941. A year too late! <laughs> so we turned round and came back home. But without our dog sausage. It had taken so long, we'd eaten them. Wow, 
I was only seven year old at the time. <laughs> Mother said girls weren't allowed to go on the little ships to Dunkirk. And when I asked her why, she said, because girls on ships are bad luck. <laughs> wow, you can imagine I wasn't having any of that bad luck, my arse. <laughs> so I stowed away in the hold of my father's fishing boat with just a pasty and a penknife. Several hours from Land's End, I was suffocating. But I couldn't get out or make myself heard above the sound of the motor. So I got me penknife and I cut a tiny air hole in the wood. <laughs> Unfortunately, this caused the boat to fill with water and sink, which was a bit unlucky. Well, at the time, I held a woolen record for swimming the channel. I had shoulders the width of a wardrobe, so I didn't wait for the boat to come in. <laughs> I got me trunks on, the ones me mam knitted, <laughs> lagged myself in lard, and set off swimming tappy lappy to Dunkirk. <laughs> I knew I could return with at least two light infantrymen clutching on me biceps. <laughs> when I strode up the beach, approached a young man and strapped him onto me back. He started struggling to get away. <laughs> As it happened, I'd overshot the mark and ended up in the Netherlands. <laughs> to make matters worse, I was arrested for indecent exposure. <laughs> Me woolly trunks had unraveled in the water. <laughs> I didn't get out of prison until 1952. Yes, I well remember the Dunkirk vacation. I was standing on the beach with my regiment and watched the boats appear on the horizon. Marvellous sight. Brought a tear to the eye. Or it would have done if I hadn't had dysentery. <laughs> because at that exact moment, I catastrophically soiled my undergarments. <laughs> so it has a rather different meaning for me, the Dunkirk evacuation. <laughs> Now it's time for the late night musings with the Reverend McMinn and his... And this evening's Thought for the Hay. Hello. I woke up on Thursday morning with an irresistible urge to eat some cakes. <laughs> Not underscratchers, obviously. No, cakes, the Polish fruitcake. So I untethered my mulberry six-wheeled sholly and hastened along to my local minima. Well, what a calamitous sight I befell as I rounded the kiddly willy stand <laughs> to espy Polish corner. No cakes in sight, just three cheese babkas well past their prime and, of course, the ironic carton of flacky, or as we would know it, soup de tripe. I was about to leave the Minimart, as cakeless as the day I was born. <laughs> when I heard raised voices coming from the chilled meat cabinet. What a sight befell me. The European Holy Trinity. Michel Barnier, Jean-Claude Junkers and Donald Tusk surrounding our very own pocket battleship, Nicola Sturgeon. With Tusk waggling in a very threatening manner, a frozen mealy pudding. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, the colour of Nicola's apparel was a borderline criminal offence. What is it with shorter people in public? Do they think we can't see them? 
garage of day glow. <laughs> this one, canary yellowed. So I sought to even up the odds by holding the antique carton of flacky above my head, finger on the quick-release flap, and shouting, by the power of Shorts Bonacore's very own Susan Boyle. <laughs> I dreamed a dream, and that dream was your hard exit from this situation through the far from frictionless border of that Minimart window. <laughs> now, the threat may well have been enough, but sadly, the red mist descended once again. <laughs> Suffice to say that Mr. Tusk resisted, but ultimately fared little better, minging as only a person can, covered in ancient flacky. He then had the ignominy of setting the security alarm off, as he did have a frozen mealy pudding inserted in his purse. <laughs> Luckily, a custodial term was averted and I earned the eternal gratitude of the European Politburo as, thanks to my scatter-soup approach, Nicola's canary two-piece will never see the light of day again. <laughs> Good night. Welshmen are getting a bit of a handful these days. All right, right here you are, front page. You see, they've got a story about Welsh actor Bumfrey Hogart. Oh, what do it say, Denzil? Bumfrey Hogart, it say, who in the film of Treasure Island played the part of Long John Silver's crutch, <laughs> have won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Bumfrey Hogarth, what was in Die Hard, the Welsh porno film. <laughs> yes, Denzil. I met him when he was filming The Magnificent Seven. What, the cowboy film? No, Denzil, the one about the river. <laughs> and he told me I looked like Shirley Bassey. Shirley Bassey? In what way? We are both women. <laughs> Goodness, goodness, listen to me now. You are the only person I know what look normal in a hall of mirrors. <laughs> How could he say you are beautiful? Because he was wooing me. Wooing uh, you, <laughs> And he take me to the club spunking and woo me there as well while we drank Chateau myself. <laughs> I took you to a club, Gwyneth. Yes, Denzel, but it was Club Merkitnoith, the Welsh language strip club, and Yao got us thrown out. I didn't understand. I thought I was the one what had to get undressed. <laughs> and he wrote me poems. I've got one now. I keep it in my brassier next to my heart. Uh. I'll read it to you and you'll see how beautiful it are. Yao are a flower, I am a bee, and I thought that you should know this. I'd like to probe inside you a bloom with my great big hairy proposis. <laughs> Anybody can write a poem, Gwyneth. Somebody from Will could write a poem. <laughs> yeah, let's see what else has happened in Wales today. Oh, I see J.Y. Kelly, the inventor of K.Y. Jelly, have died. <laughs> Oh, for Swansea's sake. All right, goodness, what does he like? J.Y. Kelly? On the whole, very nice. 
Ach, wie, Gwyneth. Ach, wie. And now it's time for the 23rd part of Two Line Terry, the story of the remarkable Scottish singer and whistler Terence McCrooner, who had many hits in the 1940s and 50s with his short two-line songs. It was now almost the end of the war, and Terry was finding life in the Royal Navy very difficult. However, this all changed when he fell in love with Charlotte Potatoes, a beautiful young wren who was sailing with him on HMS Furious. VE Day came, but Charlotte didn't adapt well to life outside the Navy, and Terry sang about this in the beautiful ballad, Crestfallen Wren. Sadness, unhappiness, sorrow and when she resigned from her maritime profession, I think she was suffering post-naval depression. <laughs> Miss Potato's depression led to a serious drinking problem, and she began to have accidents. Terry wrote about one of these in the song, Charlotte Had a Mishap. <laughs> She had a mishap and drank too much Fell out of a taxi She got rushed to the hospital With a bollard up her jacksy After a complex bollard removal operation Charlotte stopped using taxis and cycled everywhere But she continued to be depressed And her behaviour became increasingly erratic Terry felt he could never trust her and he described this untrustworthiness in the song Bicycle Boasting. She boasted of having 300 bicycles. I was quite surprised. Then she was arrested by the police and accused of peddling lies. <laughs> And in conclusion, I would like to say that we will all miss you hugely, Dad. We will miss you, but we will never forget you. Thank you, Alan, for those heartfelt words. We will now sing... Uh, sorry, Reverend. Uh, my son Jack has requested that he be allowed to say a few words about his papa. I, I think he's a little young to speak at a funeral. Well, he is young, yes. I am nearly five. <laughs> But if Jack feels he has something he wants to say, I think we should respect that, don't you? Well, yes, I suppose. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Joe's grandson Jack will now uh, say a few words about his grandpa. It's actually Bumper. I called him Bumper because rather musically, when I was little, I couldn't say Grandpa. About his Bumper. <laughs> Bumper was good fun and I loved him very much. He would buy me chocolate and one time he put an ice cream cone on his head, which was very funny. I will miss Bumper very much. Well, thank you very much, Jack. Those are lovely words. I'm not finished. <laughs> it wasn't all fun with Bumper. He smelt funny and weed himself quite a lot. Thank you, Jack. We will now he sing... He also used to swear and give the to Granny behind her back when she annoyed him. You really have to move on. I'm not finished. I want to sing my song for Bamper. Tell him, Alan. Is this necessary? Oh, he's very talented. We're just keen to let him explore his creativity at this stage. Bumper's dead! Bumper's dead! Bumper's dead! Bumper's dead! Bumper's dead! Enough! Enough! 
Just let him finish. As you can see, there is a lot of promise there. Wait till you see my dance for Bumper. No, no, there will be no dance for Bumper. Let me in the box, then. If Bumper can't get out, I want to get in. Let me in the box! You cannot get into the box. Please tell him, Alan. I think if Jack wants to get into the box... We should respect that, shouldn't we? Really? OK, I'll get the crowbar, shall I? And then Jack can squeeze in beside his grandfather's dead body, if he'd like. It's up to him, and if he wants to get burned in the fire with Bumper... No, wait! Uh, what's up, Jack? I don't want to go in the box anymore. No? Oh, can we resume? Is that OK with Jack? Yes, everything's fine. I think Jack has learned a useful lesson. That he doesn't want to lie in a box with a dead body and then get burnt. <laughs> Yes, he's learned that lesson for himself, which I think is very important. Oh, please, shut up, Alan. <laughs> right, we will now sing... No, we're out of time. Let's just burn Bumper! Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Frank Holvis. The first morning of our holiday in Gill in North Wales, I opened the curtains and saw there was a pier. And a policeman shouted at him and he stopped doing it. <laughs> and you know when you're on the beach and you want to impress the girls, you put a couple of gold-up socks down your swimming trunks. It's quite important you don't put the gold-up socks down the back of your trunks. <laughs> well, that's what they do in Gill. You know, there's an old saying in Wales about Gill. If you're driving along and you see someone hitchhiking to Gill, do the decent thing. Gun him over. <laughs> And when you're on holiday, sleeping in an unfamiliar bedroom, there's always that risk, isn't there, of getting up in the middle of the night and mistaking the wardrobe for the gavachki. <laughs> I didn't do that, but I did do the opposite. Mistook the gavachki for the wardrobe. <laughs> Flushed away a perfectly good suit, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Next morning, I was walking along the beach, thinking about my suit, and blow me down there it was, washed up on the sand. <laughs> And there were a couple of condoms in the pockets that weren't there before. <laughs> yeah, my wife had started smoking in bed. Not cigarettes, friction. <laughs> Hence the need for some well-lubricated condoms. <laughs> and my wife's favourite thing on holiday is souvenir shops. Souvenir, she just loves all that tasteless rubbish and it's total crap, absolute real crap. So she was in this souvenir shop and she really fancied this little plastic figure of a Welshman not having sex with a sheep. <laughs> Which is something you see surprisingly often in Wales. But she hadn't got any money on her, so she did a deal with the shopkeeper. She said, if you get me have this little figure, I'll let you have a look at my bosom. So that's what they did. It was tit for tat. <laughs> But probably the best holiday I ever had was in Egypt with the rest of the guards. You know, we went to see the pyramids and all that, and one of the guards fell in the river. But he insisted he hadn't fallen in the river. There's no doubt about it. He was in denial. <laughs> <laughs> and one night, the same bloke, same bloke, got very, very drunk, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely pagogetic he was. So we carried him back to the hotel, got him undressed, got his teeth out, you know. I think we should have got him back to his room as well, but... You know. 
You can't think of everything, can you? <laughs> well, the next morning, he was absolutely furious, ladies and gentlemen. Furious he was, because, apparently, he didn't have false teeth. <laughs> he does now, obviously. <laughs> I think we'll leave it at that. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, just have a seat there. I'm Brian, by the way. Uh-huh. I'm Gollum. <laughs> I don't think I've cut your hair before. Yeah, no, I don't think I've cut yours. <laughs> so what would you like done today, Callum? Uh, I'd like a haircut today, Brian. <laughs> yes, I mean, how would you like it cut? Uh, a bit shorter. <laughs> Can you be more specific? Uh, quite a bit shorter. <laughs> but not as short as the last guy who cut it. And how short was that? Too short. <laughs> OK, well, uh, perhaps I could do a number two at the side and the back. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think I'll give that a miss. <laughs> Sorry? I don't fancy a number two on my back and my side. Eh? Uh, now, why don't I just use the scissors? Ah, good idea. So, are you, uh, are you going on holiday this year? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, that's good. Where are you going? No idea. <laughs> Are you going on holiday this year? Uh, yes, yes, I'm going to Corfu. Corfu, that sounds good. Staying in Masongi, nice wee place. Uh, I've been there before. There's lots of tavernas and bars near the beach. Sounds brilliant. Oh, it's a great wee place. Masongi, you say? Yes, Masongi. <laughs> Maybe I'll come. I really wasn't suggesting you come on holiday with me. We seem to get on OK. I've only known you for about two minutes. Oh, come on. It's near our three. <laughs> I was just making conversation. I'd rather be on my own. Well, what if you get lonely? I won't. I always meet people. I'm people? <laughs> new people. Well, we could try to forget we had this chat and then I'd be new people. <laughs> I won't be able to forget we had this chat. <laughs> So I can't kip at your place after all. Sorry. It's all off, eh? It was never on. Oh, I'm just kidding you. Are you? Aye, of course. <laughs> Sorry, of course you are. I nearly heard you there. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get my own place in the song and then I'll come and find you. <laughs> oh, no, wait a minute, look at my hair. What have you done? Oh. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. It was all this talk about you coming on holiday. I must have lost focus. You've given me a Mohican. <laughs> I tell you what, sir. You can have this cut for free. Well, too right, I can. And I'll tell you what, I'm never coming back here. Oh, dear, is that right? Never mind. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding you again. <laughs> I'll give you one more chance, Brian. I enjoyed the chat. And I quite like the Mohican. You talking to me? <laughs> You're talking to me, huh? I love the deer hunter. The Absolute Radio Show is written and performed by Pete Bakey, Marlena Banks, Murray Hunter, Gordon Kennedy and John Sparks. The producers were Gordon Kennedy and Gatsby and it's an absolutely Gusman production for the BBC. <laughs>